Okay, well, welcome, Creekside. Uh, glad to have you all here on uh, this amazing Sunday morning. We braved the, uh, the I don't know, flooding or the heavy rains. I uh, told the first hour that, um, you know, whenever I heard the crack of uh, thunder or lightning at 6.30, I had two responses. One of them was, I love being cozied up in my bed. And the second one is remembering that there are people that are setting this up while the thunder and lightning is crackling. So just want to give a shot out to the people who work um, so hard week in, week out to, uh, to make sure that this happens. So I uh, thought about you guys this morning and, and then I went back to s- sleep. So um, anyway, so uh, we, uh, I, I'm here this morning because Matt and his family are at, um, they're at the state fair hanging out with big techs. And so we're excited to give him uh, a morning off and to get to s- just spend some time with his family. Um, and uh, I, have, as I've told y'all before, I love Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. So I'm excited to get to step in there. We're going to be uh, reading from Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And uh, before we get into all that, I just got to say this. I'm going to state the obvious. We're all thinking about it right now. And I just want to say congratulations to the Astros. Um, I'm not a professional baseball fan person, but a lot of you are. So congratulations. I know it's a, it's a big deal. So I'll start watching professional baseball again uh, for the first time in like 10 years. So I'm excited about that. Um, okay, so, uh, so one thing you may not know about me is that I love a certain musical. And that certain musical is Les Mis. I can't get enough of Les Mis because there's like no other story that captivates uh, and illustrates what happens when a person has been transformed by the gospel than Les Mis. Seen the musical, seen the movie, watched it live, and now I'm treacherously wading through the like three million page book of it. And it is so rich and I love it so much. But for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, here's what you got. It's uh, this guy, Jean Valjean, uh, it's normal name. So Jean Valjean uh, has a terrible life. He is not blessed with what you would call personality. He is kind of gruff. People don't like him. He's kind of isolated, keeps to himself. Uh, and then at a young age, his parents pass away. And so he has to start working to, to make a living, to be able to put food on the table. Well, shortly after that, then his uh, sister has kids and her husband is no longer in the picture. So he slides into that family and he starts working to make sure that they have food on the table. And so the life is not outstanding for him right now. And one day they fell on hard times. And so he uh, was walking by and he smelled this amazing loaf of bread. And so he thought, I'm hungry. My nephew is hungry. I'm going to take this bread uh, because we need to eat. So he does that, you know, but he's not a great criminal. And so he gets busted. He gets caught. And when he was caught, they sentenced him to years and years in prison. He ended up spending 19 years in prison for stealing bread when he was hungry. So what happened to him when he was in prison for these 19 years, he began to take on the identity of being a criminal, even though he did something that was, um, many would say, a a noble act to try to take care of a child. um, He got into this prison system and it was like changing everything about him. He became embittered. He, uh, He hated life and he despised the people around him that represented God and that represented justice. He began to despise all of these things and his entire life was warped and embittered. 
And then he gets out of jail. Again, 19 years later, he gets out of jail. He's got a little bit of money. He goes to the town and he says, hey, I, I, you know, can you put me up for the night? Um, and so when they find out he's, you know, he just got out of the pen, they're like, no, you can't stay here. Then he goes to another place. Same thing happens. Goes to another place and the same thing happens. And finally, he ends up at this amazing priest's house. The priest had a habit of letting people stay with him. And so he goes and he stays in this house. It was the first time in 19 years he had been treated like a human. First time he had been given dignity. The priest gave him a nice bed to sleep in and a hot meal. He honored him as a guest. And Jean Valjean was like, this is so weird. This is uncomfortable to me. And then later that night, Jean Valjean, you know, he's become a criminal. And so he's kind of eyeing some of the nice pieces of silver. And so he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I take these and then leave? So he does it. He steals from this person that was so kind to him. And then he leaves, but again, not the greatest criminal. So he gets caught again and the police bring him back to the, the priest. And they said, this guy just stole from you. What are you going to do about it? And the priest, because he was filled with the grace of the Lord said, oh no, he didn't steal from me. Those are a gift. I gave those to him. He sent the cops on and then he goes and he pulls out the remaining riches he has and these silver candlesticks and he brings them to Jean Valjean and he says, take this. So not only did he let him avoid being caught and thrown back into prison, but he still continued to lavish him with gifts and he says, use this grace to become an honest man. And so he has this amazing, powerful conversion type of experience that happened. But you know what he did after that? And this is one of the reasons why I love this story. You know what Jean Valjean did as soon as he left the priest's house? He sees a boy. He's walking along. He sees this boy who's like flipping his coin. The coin falls on the ground. Jean Valjean stomps on the coin. And the kid's like, give me my coin. Give me my coin. He's like, scram. Beat it, kid. And he pushes him aside. And he takes the coin and he goes on his merry way. So it's, you know, warped. Why does Ryan like that? I thank you for asking. I'll tell you. So the reason that I like that is because uh, in our culture, we are so captivated by, like, by that crisis conversion. It's the person that had the terrible life. They encountered Jesus, and then everything is sunshine and roses afterward. They no longer are dealing with any of this stuff. And that's really exciting because it communicates victory that can be had in Jesus. But the reality is that for many of us, this is a little bit more of a gray time period. The old life that we had still kind of bleeds into the new life that we have. The habits that, were, uh, that we cultivated in his case, for 19 years in prison, are still with him. So just because he had this encounter with grace doesn't mean he's automatically, boom, changing all of his habits immediately. You may ask, why, why am I bringing that up? Well, that's absolutely what Paul is getting at in this passage, is he's trying to talk about the different habits and the patterns that we have set up when we were, when we were outside of Christ. Uh, we have to uh, let go of those or put off those things and put on the habits of righteousness, a similar thing happens, for those of you, just to kind of get a frame of reference, for those of you who have been in counseling, maybe even you've had a, a rough background, there's like this, there's this uh, maturity, this awakening, this revelation that you have either right before you go into counseling or right after you've started where you realize that your normal is not normal. It's this process of trying to identify, oh my gosh, wait, that was bad. And I've developed these habits to try to negotiate life. But those habits are ultimately not great for me. So you have to identify, uproot, and live into a new life as a result of that. And that's, that's the human experience. And that's what we read about here in Ephesians 4. Okay, I'm going to read this passage, 25 through 32. By all means, read along with me. And that's great. Um, but what I want for you all to do is this is a really, 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 really practical passage. So just 
a lot of times we have those scenarios in our lives where we're like, oh my gosh, the scriptures are speaking to me right here and right now. And I, this is one of those passages where that's a common experience. So as I'm reading, if something stands out to you, by all means, disassociate and daydream and think about what it is that the Lord is revealing. For the rest of you, you know, keep with me. All right, Ephesians 4, starting in 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity or a foothold. He who steals must steal no longer. But rather, he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. This is a good one. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Y'all bow with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you that as we study what Paul penned through your Holy Spirit And it was absolutely true then, and believers needed to hear it then. Believers need to hear it now, and believers will need to hear it and be reminded of it until you come back. Thank you for the everlasting nature of your word. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live it out, to be transformed by it, and to be a part of your transforming process in other people's lives. We give thanks to you, Jesus, for all these things. In Christ's name, amen. So this is my, uh, this would be my style. Did I, did I not read that? We'll get to that. Okay, so this is my style of a sermon. What I would love to be able to do is I would love to be able to direct you to a passage and just say, okay, here's, you know, seven verses, which I read most of them. So uh, here's seven verses, highly practical. Uh, now pick just one of those things and do it. See y'all later. Have fun. Uh, and that sounds good. In fact, everybody in here is like, is he going to do that? And you're kind of excited. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. But it should be that simple. But the reality is, is that we bring our own complexities to bear on the scripture. We have our own tools for justifying the behaviors that we participate in. So we may look at a passage like this. This is a well-known uh, passage. And uh, speak truthfully to one another. Okay, uh, that's great, Paul. I, yes, don't, don't lie to people. I can get on board with that. But, but Paul, the complexities of the truth are many. Within a family, within a work dynamic, within a roommate situation, the, the truth is a really complicated thing with lots of different dynamics and lots of feelings involved. So, okay, but I see where you're going with that, Paul. Or uh, be angry and yet don't sin Paul has clearly outed himself as somebody who's never been married and never had kids before because something like that is absolutely unrealistic. Um, or uh, uh, he's got, you know, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And you're like, uh, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I need to get better at that. Um, but then, you know, get rid of all uh, here, get rid of uh, all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. I don't deal with any of that stuff. I just haven't talked to the person in 20 years, but I'm not bitter. We're fine. I don't even think about the person. 
but I won't talk to them. So we have all these little ways that we justify our behavior to make sure that we can skirt the issue that Paul is trying to uproot for many of us. And so, you know, as is my tendency, I I don't want us to kind of get away with that. I want us to delve a little bit deeper. So we're going to take a few of these portions of the text, and we're going to, um, and we're going to maybe, I don't know, hold up a mirror for all of us. It's a fun process. All right. So the first thing that he says is, um, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor or her neighbor, for we are members of one another. So the first habit that he's trying to uproot and then replace with a, with, with a righteous act is this habit of speech. He says, speak truthfully to one another. So there's one aspect of that that's like, that makes sense. We're like, okay, don't, don't tell a lie. You know, respond with the correct answer to a question that you've been asked, right? So um, did you finish my New York super fudge chunk ice cream that I was planning on eating tonight? Yes, I did. I'm so sorry. Did you, uh, did you remember to stop at the store on your way home from work uh, because we need to eat? No, no, I'm sorry, I didn't. See, that's a, that, those are like res- truthful responses. It's correct information. But Paul didn't necessarily stop there. He goes a little bit further um, to talk about having correct vision. In other words, we're to see one another uh, in light of the gospel, in light of our own process of growth in the gospel. We're to have vision for one another and speak truthfully about it. So what Paul is saying is, church, Stop, listen to me, stop pretending that everything is okay when you know there's a rift between you and your neighbor. Just stop it. Put off the falsehood that keeps you from speaking the truth to your neighbor because you don't want to hurt their feelings. You're afraid of how they're going to respond. You think that they're going to think that you're being judgy. Just stop it and speak truthfully to one another. I got to say, this is kind of my thing. This is a thing that I've had to grow in a lot, especially being in ministry. It's not so much that I'm scared of the way another person is going to respond if I, if I uh, address them or if I uh, speak the truth to them. It's not that I'm afraid of that. My thing is I don't want them to feel the discomfort that I think they're going to feel when I talk to them. I'm a rescuer. I'm an enabler. It's, it's kind of my tendency, and so I don't want to put anybody through that. The problem is, all the while, we let the person continue with their patterns and with their decisions, and we've never acknowledged it. Instead, we have allowed them to go on about their business because we don't want to ruffle feathers or we don't want to hurt their feelings. What I love about this also is Paul says the, the reason is we belong to one another. We're family. That's what family does. We speak truthfully to one another. Have you ever had a family member, we all got them, the family member that is just, you know, they just, they choose the hard way of life. They, they just do. They're known for it. They have, it's what they do. But we feel it. The entire family feels the effects of this one family member making bad decisions, right? That's part of belonging to one another is that your difficulty in your sin actually affects me. And my inability to communicate to you and have vision for you affects you. We have a responsibility to one another. One of the common passages around the pale family household is Proverbs 27.5. This is like 
a tattoo verse for us. Better is open rebuke than love concealed. What he's saying here is um, you have a responsibility to one another where it's absolutely better for you to address them. We remember Paul doing this uh, with Peter. It's better to address them uh, than to pretend to love them and keep all the truths inside. In fact, this is not love. It's apparent love. So there are many of you that are sitting here saying, okay, Pale, well, that's not, really, uh, that's not really my thing. In fact, if I am thinking something about another person, I'm going to tell them. I'm not scared to hurt feelings. I'm not scared about how that's going to affect me. I'll tell them, and I got no problem. In fact, I have no shortage of opinions that I think the world needs to hear, and, and that's great. I have a certain amount of admiration and respect for that. So I'm going to direct you to our next passage, which is all kinds of fun. And it says uh, that we need to move from unwholesome talk uh, to building up. So it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building up one another. Um, I was thinking about this week. I was like, oh my gosh, I think that this passage has been used to make more money through like swear jars than any passage on tithing. I remember as an 18-year-old college student, when I was first starting to walk with the Lord, I, uh, I loved athletics. And so my 18-year-old roommates and I, everything was a competition, whether it's on the basketball court, volleyball court, or in our dorm room shooting hoops with paper crumpled paper. Um, everything was a competition, and when everything is a competition, you get a little heated. And so we had a little bit of a problem with our language, and we were like, oh, that's not good, because it says don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And so we wanted to, uh, we wanted to fix that. So we you know, did swear jars and had lots of money in there for poor college students and had a nice dinner afterward. But that's not what this is talking about. This isn't about potty language This isn't about inappropriate jokes. There are plenty of passages in the scriptures that talk about those things. This word unwholesome describes the process of deterioration, of rotting. So when you think of something that dies and it stays there for a long time and it carries that stench, that filth, that ugh, it's exactly what he's talking about. And he's saying none of that comes out of your mouth, believers in Christ. Many of us have those things where we were told something when we were younger that just kind of stuck with us. So a friend of mine, uh, when he was younger, might have been called Dumbo. He might have had ears that grew a little bit before the rest of his body. Um, and so, but those little comments stuck with him. <laughs> it's me. Uh, so... Those, but those little comments stick with you. I, I got a friend that won't wear shorts, another friend that won't wear open-toed shoes because of little comments that were made, a little sinister, just like a little lob of an insult um, lays on somebody. And as James says, it causes all kinds of destruction. In fact, he talks about how um, an entire forest can be set on fire because of a tiny spark A big thousand pound beast can be guided by a tiny metal piece that fits in his mouth or a gigantic ship is steered by a little rudder. Our words have so much power and can set the course of people's path or can set people's life on a completely different course. And what Paul is saying is that that ought not to be true of us as believers in Christ. So does that mean that we just sit there and we walk around on eggshells hoping that we don't hurt people's feelings? No, that's not what we're talking about at all. What Paul is doing is he's saying pay attention 
to your brother or your sister that's in your midst. And they need, just like you need and I need, they need to be guided in the faith toward growth and maturity. Earlier in 4, it says, speak the truth to one another in love so that we will grow up into him who is the head that is Christ Jesus. The purpose of our words is to build one another up. So how do we do this? I'll give you one of the easiest things that you can do is just stop talking so much. Is just listen. Because when you listen to people and when you're fascinated by people, you begin to hear how they're processing through life. You begin to hear the lies that they're believing about themselves or about somebody else, but you are able to hear where the struggle is and where Satan is feeding them lies. And you can speak into that, but you can't do that if you continue to talk on and on and on. So my encouragement would be just Listen, that's how you move from unwholesome talk to more of, a, more of a building up. Easy? Easy, right? Okay, next. Next we have, Paul's going to take us into habits of the heart. These are the fun ones where you just really hope and pray that you don't get in a fight with your wife uh, during this. First thing he says is, uh, be angry and yet don't sin. Be angry and yet don't sin. So there's a couple things going on here. One is we may have heard before, okay, anger is fine. In fact, there's, it's a command here. Be angry, but just don't sin. And, you know, don't give the devil a foothold. So uh, and we may even recall Jesus. Jesus was angry. He cleansed the temple uh, and he didn't sin because he's Jesus. Uh, but that's not the case for me, for us. Paul didn't have that much confidence in us. See, Jesus knew what to be angry at. And he knew how, how to carry out that anger, how to act on that anger. We don't have it so fortunate. In fact, a few verses later, Paul's going to tell us, actually, just put off anger. Just get, get rid of it. Because you're standing at the doorstep of something really, really dangerous. In fact, it's something that can open up the way for the devil to come in to your relationship. So one of the ways this really comes out is, uh, you know, through disagreements. When Andre and I were newly married, we used to call them discussions. Now I think we call them fights, maybe. I don't know. But discussions, fights, whatever it is. Okay, so think about one of those that you've had with a spouse, with a child, with a roommate, with a teacher, with a bo- whoever it is. Think about one of those discussions that you had. Discussions. Okay, um, so what happens when Y'all are interrupted. So we're clearly, like, we're grading on each other. We clearly don't see eye to eye. Each one of us just believes strongly that we're right. But you stop for whatever reason. Maybe you're too angry. You can't talk to one another. And you're like, we we just need space. Or maybe you just get interrupted by life. And you have to talk about it later. Well, then what do you do after that? Sometimes you just, like, angrily do dishes or whatever. Like, you find these chores and you, like, violently do these chores around the house, which is really productive. Or, like, you'll get into your car and you'll drive fast in College Station, which apparently is, like, four miles under the speed limit still. I don't understand. But you'll get in your car and you'll drive fast or you will be completely unfazed uh, by the other person. Like, you put on this persona where you're like, I want you to know that I don't really care about your existence right now. So we have these different things that we gravitate toward, but while you're in that, what's going on in your mind? Just hypothetically speaking, do you build your case? 
do you start to think about, okay, here are all the reasons that I'm right. Um, here are all the reasons that they're wrong. Ooh, but you know what? Here are all the ways that I can communicate all of this information here. Because clearly they need to know it. And it always works out well where we lay out our case and the other person is like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for bringing this up. I had no idea I was being arrogant and proud and not loving you well. Thank you. Works out like that, right? No. No, no, we stew on this stuff as we build our case. What Paul is saying, he he tells us, he's like, don't let the sun go down on your anger here. He's not saying something magical happens when the sun sets that your anger poof needs to be dealt with. What he's saying is you deal with that now. You don't put it off. You don't deal with it later. Because what happens is the longer that you stew, the longer that you build this case, the more deeply rooted your anger is and it becomes harder to raise that case completely to the ground. It becomes kind of impossible except for an act of God because we've convinced ourselves that we're right. (laughs) We may even pray, oh Lord Jesus, please let them bring this up. Please let them ask the question of who works harder during the day. Please, I want that one. We build these cases and we want to act on them and we're proud and we're arrogant. And so when Paul says, deal with this before sunset, he's saying, do it now. Because what happens? Satan is given a foothold. You've given Satan access into the relationship that is built on and established by the foundation of Christ. And a rift is is made between y'all. Okay, so he's saying, um, deal with your anger quickly. But that doesn't apply to anybody in here, right? Um, A little bit further down, he's going to say this. Get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander along with all malice so what paul is doing here you know he does he's got these lists these constant lists about morality or whatever it is i feel like what he's trying to do here is he's he's kind of taking us into the ethic of the kingdom not the good kingdom the bad one remember in ephesians 2 we read about how the world is ruled by satan And as the world is ruled by Satan, and we are under that, we were by nature objects of wrath before Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that marks the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. We become bitter. We become angry. We gossip. Every aspect of our world beckons us toward these. These feel really, really good. Have you ever had a situation where, um, where you have, like, somebody just is really annoying to you, or somebody's hurtful, or somebody's mean, whatever it is, but then you find somebody else that has a similar frustration with a person, and you kind of, like, tease it out at first, and then you realize y'all both are angry by the same person, and you find one another, and you form this bond that, that's really over gossip. You find one another, and what's really sick is that our bodies are even inclined to be drawn to this. Like there are endorphins released when we find this type of bond over a common enemy. So all aspects of our world draw us to this, but we have Christ Jesus that constantly draws us out. We have the Holy Spirit in us, which was the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is in us now, constantly pulling us out, but it's tempting. 
It's so tempting to go down this road. And I got to tell y'all, this is one of those things. I'm, I'm a church guy, which I guess makes sense. I work here. Um, but I am a church guy. Like, we don't have the option to walk faithfully with Jesus if we do it in isolation. If we can walk into a building and be unknown and not know other people where there's not that interaction of truth that's happening, we don't get to thrive in our walk with Christ. These things, these little blind spots, these little patterns that we pick up along the way don't get called out if nobody knows us. And so it's absolutely crucial for us to be known and to know others as we participate in church. Creekside, Res Fellowship, anywhere and everywhere. This is the call of the Christian life. And he says, you know, be kind and be tenderhearted and, and forgive. What's the best way to take out the bitterness in you? It's to have the type of humility that makes you kind to people even when they don't deserve it. To be a person of character, tenderhearted, to be somebody who's noble and admirable and to forgive. One of the best uh, illustrations of forgiveness and that really uh, resonated with me, I felt like it was faithful to the text also, was, was forgiveness for believers is for us to let go of that which we feel like we're owed. We're, we're forgiving a debt. Somebody owes us something because of something they had done or something they had said. Um, and many times we wait for the apology because they don't deserve our forgiveness until they apologize. But frankly, the apologies don't come often. But we're still called to forgive regardless of whether the apology comes. So when it says to forgive others, he's also saying, because remember, God had to let go of that which you owed him, which was your life. But you were a sinner. And he still forgave you and still loved you. So this is a highly practical text. Uh, we're just going to recap and look at these different points that we have. And as I mentioned earlier, I want for you all to just take one. Just take one little thing to stew on. So I'm going to recap. First one, speak truthfully and wisely. Be the type of person that when I see a brother or sister caught up in sin or unhealthy, whatever it is, have the humility to go to them humbly, come beside them, and to speak the truth in love to build them up into Christ Jesus. Um, Build up through your words. Instead of using your words, that stench, that rotting uh, um, process that sometimes comes out of our mouths that in, inflicts harm on other people, replace that, keep our opinions to ourselves, and to speak truthfully to other people so that you can build them up into maturity in the faith. Next, deal with your anger. Don't allow yourself to sit there and to stew on the anger that you have toward another person. It's funny, I told the first hour, uh, <laughs> Uh, with my wife sitting here, uh, I wouldn't have been allowed to preach on this last week. And, uh, you know, because that wasn't where I was at. And then, like, nobody laughed except her. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> That's good. Appreciate that. Uh, so deal with your anger. Be the type of person that forgives and gets over that stuff quickly. Um, get rid of all bitterness, rage, malice, gossip, etc. Um, and then finally, for some of us, we just need to be reminded to be kind, to be tenderhearted, to be the type of person that forgives, to model that life of forgiveness that the world so desperately needs. So one of those, just one of those, we all are going to need, need to be reminded of every one of these things until we're in the grave. 
But just for this week, based on what relationships look like for you now, based on what your situation looks like now, find one of these things and allow it to transform you. And share it with somebody. Share it with somebody that's close, that has the opportunity to delve into that with you. And if I could propose, maybe even ask them if they see that as an area of growth for you. Hey, I tend to hold on to anger quite a bit. Do you see that in me? Does that come out? And allow them the opportunity to be the church for you. So we're going to leave from here and we're going to be transformed by the grace of God. But first, let me pray for us and you'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for um, calling us out of the world, for drawing us out of a place that's ruled by war and hate and evil and not leaving us to fumble around trying to figure out how to get out of life alive, but you have called us out into that, uh, out of that and into abundant life. Lord Jesus, would you help us to live the type of life with one another where we would push one another on toward love and good deeds, where we would truly be um, the church that you desire for us to be. Please help us, Lord, all of us in here, help us to think, to stew on just one of these things. And Lord, because the Spirit is within us, would you allow the Spirit to do its work in and through us? And we pray these things in the hope of Christ. Amen.